0: So man, so glad you're here. I just talked to a guy, I go, how you doing? He goes, it's 6.30, man. He goes, what are you asking me for? Uh, I really love that we get up early and we pour in here. So we're just trying to get everybody situated the first day. Let me just make a couple of quick announcements. Um, first of all, the room number for your group is on your name tag. And you might say, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't have a room number. That's because you're not in a particular group yet, and what you guys do is hang right here. And we got a couple of our best leaders in here for you. And so Hill Bowman and Rob Heath will be right here for you. So when we're done and we break, okay, if you're not with a group of of men yet, just hang right here and we're going to take great care of you. Okay. Now look, um, the tower, if you've never been to Watermark before, uh, is that building a little bit to the east of here. And when we break in, in about 15, 20 minutes, we'll all head to our group. And if you're in the tower over there, and you're on the second or third floor, I just encourage you guys to, to walk upstairs here and take that little, there's a little bridge that goes across, all right? And we're going to encourage you, obviously, to walk these stairs. If you're on the second floor of the tower, that's where that bridge goes. And if you're meeting in the third floor of the tower, walk across that bridge and then take the stairs up to the third floor. Because we had a bunch of guys that are gone to, you know, five and six and seven and eight. We're going to let them take the elevators so we don't, you know, jump on and take the elevators uh, up a little bit higher, all right? So um, if you have any other questions after that, man, uh, Bobby Crowdy and Holly and some other folks will be right out there by that coffee area. Uh, Just look like you're confused and somebody will find you, all right? Hey, it's awesome to be together. Let me pray and we're going to dive in. Lord, what a privilege to um, have friends in our life that would encourage us to be here or enough of an awareness of who you are that we would want to rise early and uh, maybe leave our families uh, leave our morning routine to come and think about that which is anything but routine to think about the only thing that really matters and so would you just redeem this time and help us to get our arms around truth in a way that would allow us to be men today this world needs men And we pray that you would sharpen us, that you would equip us, as it says in the scripture, you train our fingers for battle, because we're going to have to wage war against sin, our own flesh, the course of this world, an enemy that hates us. There are people there that are um, looking, Lord, for princes and heroes and deliverers. And it would delight us if you could free us from our own bondage, that we might then be trained to be a source of grace and leadership and kindness to a world that is desperately looking for it, So fill our hearts, direct us, make us men. Amen. Hey, we are um, talking about the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, as I said last week, is a book that's written for um, individuals that need to be instructed and reminded and taught things that are true. And today we're going to take a big look at this idea of the fear of the Lord. And that's a very confusing statement when you think about the fear of the Lord because a lot of us go that's why I don't want anything to do with God because he's like my old man and my old man I had um, a relationship with that was really rooted in fear and intimidation and I feared his hand I feared getting backhanded I feared his oppression but I don't love him. And frankly, my view of God is similar. I don't want to ultimately be on the short end of his judgment. I'm not even really sure he's there. But if he is there, I want to make sure I appease him enough that I don't get smacked silly, and I hope I live good enough long enough that I'd be okay with him. But the word fear confuses us. It it, it puts to mind probably some ideas that aren't altogether healthy. When you think of the word fear, fear clouds our judgment. It keeps us from being... um, we're ready to run to battle. We, we're paralyzed by it. It causes us to delay in what we do. It, it, it promotes a sense sometimes of irrationality or we lose objectivity when we're really fearful. Um, if, uh, if I'm fearing something, I'm not going to be operating in trust. And so sometimes when the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, it can put us in a really bad place. And it's because we don't understand really what that word means. So let me just say this, before we look a little bit at what it means, uh, in in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, where it says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And let me just make something really clear. That doesn't mean it's something you get in kindergarten and you forget it. You got to think about like a house. When you start to build a house, the foundation of that house is the most important thing. The beginning of the building of a a house or a tower is always going to be um, the the, the usefulness and the stability and the dignity and the long-term usability of a tower is always going to be related to the foundation. And so what you need to understand about this idea which is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of a skilled life, the beginning of a skilled interaction that you're going to have with anybody else today, the beginning of... um, Everything that you do throughout your life is always going to start with a foundation. We like to say around here a lot that the most important thing about you is what you think of when you think of God. If you think of God as um, some distant judge, then that's going to affect the way you interact with people. If you think of God as somebody who just goes, I'll do the best you can and we're going to get along and I'm not going to really be... You know, too hard on you, that's gonna influence the way you choose things. If you think of God as he's there to smite you, if you make one little mistake, that's gonna affect every interaction you have. But if you have a right understanding of God, if the foundation of everything you do is based on a right understanding of God, it will help you live a life that is excellent, okay? And that is, that is the kind of life that you want, a life that leads to nobility and a fullness the reward, it says in Proverbs 22:4, of humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Okay, so what this means is, if you get this, whatever this word fear means, if you get it right and you base everything today on it, not like you get, okay, yeah, God's there and I know I'm going to get judged and so I fear him. Okay, that's gonna, like, okay, I got that down. There's judgment coming, and so everything I'm gonna do is in light of the coming judgment. You're gonna really miss what the fear of the Lord means. But if you start today with a foundation and everything you do with a basis that is related to a right understanding of God, and everything you do is informed by that, then you're going to have a life that is like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden, it's full of dignity. And, 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 and all that is good and right and true. That's what it means when it says the beginning of wisdom. You can't live a skilled life unless the foundation of your thinking is always informed by a right view of God. Your view of God determines so much about you. Um, determines whether you, uh, whether you weep when innocent people are killed or whether you dance in the streets with delight when terrorists Uh, attack a crowd, right? Um, Your view of God determines whether um, whether you rob and exploit the vulnerable or whether you stop to help them. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So listen, let me just show you a person whose life is built on a foundation with a right understanding of God. Turn to Psalm 84. We're studying Proverbs, so turn to Psalms. There we go. Because what I want to do without even using the word fear is show you what a right understanding of God looks like, that that you begin right, right here this way. So Psalm 84. It says, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. He's starting by just saying this. Wherever God is, that's a really good place. I want to be where God is. Um, my soul longs and even yearns to be in the, the, the courts of the Lord where God is, where he's hanging out. My heart and my flesh sing for joy when I am near the one God who is right and true and loving. And then, then what the psalmist is going to do, David says this, man, look at the birds. He's looking at everything. He's, he sees the birds who could fly and they could move into a, a physical place that God was um, representatively dwelling in. He's talking about the the temple of the Lord. And birds could come and they would build their nest there where where God was celebrated. And they said, man, the bird has found a nest. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even near your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who get to spend more and more time with you and who are constantly thinking rightly about who you are. That's what it means when it says they're ever praising you. He says this again. This is the foundation of a great and beautiful life. He starts by saying, man, you wonder who the guy is who's blessed? The guy who is blessed is the guy who puts his strength in you. In other words, they're they're going to operate out of a relationship and a familiarity with God. And they know that God's the one who's going to train their fingers for battle. God's the one that's going to give them uh, courage when the world melts. He says in verse 6, they'll pass through the Valley of Baca, which is, uh, think Death Valley in America. There's no, there's no life there. There's no water. There's no nourishment. Uh, but even though uh, when they go through this, this parts of the world that typically wipe out and weaken men, people who know God and know the truth about God and the truth about this world and where we came from and where we're gone, they make even those places look like a spring. Uh, in verse 7, it says, men who know God go from strength to strength. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That guy, man, that just, nothing shakes him. Nothing, nothing, um, you think about how, you know, hurricanes have just wiped out Puerto Rico and how um, certain areas that have been ravaged by earthquakes, they, they start to build houses differently because they know there's instability on the earth in those areas. Or uh, we know that strong storms come through and when you see a house that is built on a solid foundation with a firm structure that has been architected well, it survives what nobody else can survive. And what the, 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 the psalmist is describing there, in effect, is there are men that seem to go through this life with a dignity and an honor and a strength that isn't familiar to most. Most folks get wiped out. These guys, their possessions might get wiped out, their health may get wiped out, but there's some dignity and strength to them that is different. What does it come from? The answer, a right understanding of God. They have have a, a, a foundation that strengthens them. So real quickly, Psalm 84, verse eight. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to me. Behold, you're my shield. Look upon me. He says, I know this. This is the foundation of David's existence. I know that just a day, okay, in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold. I love this. At the house of my God, then in the, tents of the wicked, dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God, He's a sun and a shield. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in the scripture. The foundation of my thinking is when I think about God, what do I think? God gives me what I don't deserve. That's the word grace. God builds into me what all men seek, which is a life of honor. Right? We go, man, that, that, that's just a glorious life. There's something about that guy that I just, when I'm around him, I just go, man, that's what a man is. That's the way you love a woman, that's the way you lead a family, that's the way you handle money, that's the way you handle temptation. And this is what God does. When you have a right understanding of God and understands that he loves you, he's not trying to rip you off, he's trying to set you free, and that's the foundation of every beginning thought, then you're gonna have a a life that is a strong tower. So don't think of beginning like this as the first thing we gotta teach you, okay? And then leave it on the more complicated truths. The fear of the Lord, which is a right reverential understanding. So real quick, in the New Testament, um, the fear of the Lord shows up a number of different times in the New Testament. And there's three different words that are used. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear. Now, that's really interesting. If God doesn't give us a spirit of fear and it's the beginning of wisdom, where are we supposed to get it? Well, it's because that word fear that's translated there, timidity in some translation, and then cowardice in another translation. Okay, I'm, don't worry about what the Greek word is, but just know that there's three different words in the Greek that are translated fear into English. One of the times the word fear shows up in the New Testament is is of the best translation is, is timidity or cowardice. In other words, there is nothing in this life that we ought to come up against that makes us cower and weak. So when when you think about what the beginning of wisdom is, it doesn't mean a, a cowardice before God. It means something else. In the New Testament, believers, folks who know God, don't cower because, um, They have have an understanding. They they are enlightened. They're not surprised by evil. They're not surprised by sickness, death, and betrayal. And um, they're not even scared that they're going to be exposed or discovered. There is a courage about them. The righteous are bold as a lion, it says in Proverbs 28, 1. But the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. You ever seen those guys that are always nervous that someone's gonna know the truth? Men who live well don't have that men who are mocked, right? I mean, think about how um, if you had information that sounds crazy, but you know the next day it's going to be shown to be true, right? There's fear mongers all the time related to the stock market, but every now and then a guy gets it right, all right? And he's not a guy who's been saying it for 10 years and all of a sudden it happened. But I mean, like, if you know information that's going to happen, and the world mocks you and and, and criticizes you, but then it's going to happen the next day, and the world's going to come back to you, that's what he's saying. Basically, when you talk about the truth that's out there, you can talk about the dignity and the beauty of life with God, and the world mocks you and tells you you're crazy, you know something. And so you're not going to cower at the criticism of men. In the Bible, we aren't. Cowards. We don't have cowardice. That's not the right kind of fear. There's another kind of fear, though, that shows up in the New Testament, and it's just what I would call reverential fear. That's the fear that is talked about in Proverbs that says it's the foundation of all things. Okay? So the the word there in the New Testament, it's kind of interesting. You really want, I think the best definition of it, the one I really like more than any, and it's one that's actually in your book, is that you understand that the wrath of God is awful, but the way of God is awesome. I mean, that's worth writing down. It's in your book, but highlight it. When you think of a right view of God, listen, I fear him in the sense that he is a God that will bring about consequence and judgment to those who do wrong but what God's trying to do is say I want to have a relationship with you and you know that the reason I want a relationship with you is because I want you as my son as the man that I created with dignity in my image if you'll just walk with me I want your life to be glorious so the wrath of God is awful he is capable to judge but the way of God is awesome and if that can be the foundation of your life, it'll change you, all right? So a long time ago, I'll, I'll give you um, you know, kind of two, two different ways of looking at this. And I'll give one that folks my age will recognize, and I'll give you one that guys that are in their 20s will relate to. Um, and so, so first of all, when I was a kid, you know, uh, and you watched football, you really only watched pretty much one game on Saturday with Keith Jackson doing it. There was only one on, not a bunch, one. Right, And then uh, maybe you'd catch one NFL game on a Sunday, and then it was always Monday night. Monday night was a big deal. Monday night football with Howard Cosell was huge. And the commercials that were always on today, apparently there's a much greater problem with erectile dysfunction in, uh, in the 2000s there was when I was a kid because uh, we didn't really talk about it much on those commercials. So if you watch NFL games today, they're going to help you with your ED. If you watched <laughs> NFL games back then, they wanted to help you with your money. And there was a commercial that was always on during those kind of games because they knew the target audience that involved a group called EF Hutton. And there was a phrase that they used, which was, to this day, I still use it, right? And those guys that are my age know, right? When EF Hutton talks, people listen. listen. Watch this one little ad. They had a hundred of these, but here's one of them. broker says that with two children to put through college, I should start investing in stocks. What does your broker say? Well, Frank, my broker's E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. There you go. All right. Now, here's what's great. Is E.F. Hutton. It was like, that was an amazing line. Like everybody talks about, hey, my broker says I had to buy this stock. Hey, my broker says I had to be in bonds. Hey, my broker says I had to do this. Hey, my broker's E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, because E.F. Hutton, man, that guy's got it going on. Eh, Until they get caught in a check uh, check kiting scandal, right? In the 80s. Uh, Until um, they found to be laundering money for the Petraca crime family in Boston until the stock market crashes and they're $77 million short of margin calls. And now that's why you know you guys know who E.F. Hutton is. Because in 1987, they're gone. But man, what an amazing marketing strategy. And really what I would tell you is the right understanding of the fear of God is, because with E.F. Hutton, bro, if you didn't get E.F. Hutton's advice, you weren't going to do well in the stock market. And so when E.F. Hutton talks, man, people listen. Every time I think about the word of the Lord, I, I do that in my mind's eye. I just go, man, when the word of God speaks, I'm like, I want to stop what I'm doing and listen. That is reverential fear. Like the other word in the New Testament is the word phobia, right? For fear. And, um, and so, you know, um, a phobia is... Um, you know, I think it could be one of two things. It can be like a terror that's not healthy, okay? Like um, a, 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 a phobia of snakes. That's not normal for men to have phobias of snakes, right? Some of you guys might be like, bro, I got that, all right? Or, or like, um, you know, I don't know how many of you guys have your wife kill the cockroaches in your family. But I've, I've got boys, I'm raising them, and sometimes there's a cockroach, like, ah, 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 you know? And I'm like, bro, get over there and pick that cockroach up and eat it. I mean, be a man, all right? I mean, what are you doing? Okay, some guys do it for attention. I'm scared of mice. I'm scared of this. Okay, that is not. That phobia, that terrifying response to things is not what men do. Okay? At the same time, if you're an idiot and you play with venomous snakes, OK, you don't have what I would call is a healthy phobia, um, a, a uh, just I would say a protracted state of alarm. OK, now look, when I see a snake, I've been bitten by a copperhead, I was bitten by a copperhead because I was somewhere and I was around. I was outside. There was a bunch of kids that were over there and they were looking. Oh, this is, And I walk over and I see immediately and I recognize both from the head, I recognize from the design on the snake, um, you know, that, that that was a copperhead. And so I took a step. I said, whoa, kids, get back, get back, get back. And I took a stick and I put it right there in that sucker's head. And I said, okay, guys, I said, that is a copperhead. All right, that snake is dangerous right there. And actually it was not a very long stick. It was about that long. And so <laughs> I pinched it down and I'm doing this and I'm telling the kids, I said, and, 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 and said, so look, that's a copperhead, okay? And get back. And some lady comes up and goes, would you get away from that snake? Don't hurt snake. That a snake. you are beautiful. My daddy's a herptologist. That's not a copperhead. And I go, man, that's a copperhead, right? And she says, don't you hurt that snake. I go, and there's kids everywhere in this area. I go, man, that's a copperhead. And I don't know if your daddy's a herptologist or not, but I do know that you don't know what a copperhead is. You see the hourglass design, and I felt the snake move. It was a soft little bed of, of ground. It buried itself down. I felt it go down. And man, I, barely, I got my hand back, and that thing, what? And hit my hand. And I just went. And I took that stick and I went right back down. I put it right through his head and I picked it up and I go in the other way. You're going to know it's a copperhead is in about 15 minutes. My arm's going to look like Popeye. That is a copperhead. And I was so ticked off at myself. Okay. Cause I was just, I was just stupid. Okay. I don't fear snakes in an unhealthy way, but I just didn't. It wasn't the right stick to pick up. You don't engage in a conversation with some woman from Louisiana who doesn't have a good daddy, all right? <laughs> when you got a copperhead pinned down, and so I did have a proper reverential fear, and so you know, and I'm 30 minutes from any hospital, and so man. Hey, it was a great excuse to speed. They're like, pull me over, right? I, I put the copperhead in my car. Like, right? the cops go, What are you doing? I go, oh, I'm trying to live. What are you doing? You know, escort me. And um, I get to the hospital and, uh, you know, I, 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 um, I, I walk in there and, they, and I go, Hey, man, I've been bitten by a copperhead. They go, How do you know? I go, That's how I know, right here. And, uh, and they go, Well, there's a national shortage right now in antivenom. You know, we're moving from a horse based serum to a synthetic serum. I go, well, what'd you do with the last guy that came in here? I go, well, we care him to Austin. And so, long story short of it is, um, I-, I was very fortunate. I just didn't get care flighted to Austin. We sat there, my body worked its way out. But all, all, all that to say is this guys aren't supposed to squeal when they see a snake. And you're not supposed to squeal when you hear about God, unless you're lost. And then that would be a wise thing to do. But men aren't supposed to be casual about snakes either. And you don't want to jack around with poisonous snakes. You want to treat them with appropriate reverential awe, okay? And so here's the deal. If you start your life, this world needs men who will step on the heads of stupidity, but who don't act like stupidity isn't a threat to their life. This world needs men to start their day with a right understanding of a God. And they fear him. They have a reverence for him. But they also know, okay, that they're not supposed to be scared of him, that he's a God that wants them close. That his wrath is awful, but his way is awesome. And you've had your way to come in. Uh, There is a guy that uh, has made the news very recently. His uh, most famous quote is, life is too short to be living somebody else's dream. You ever heard that? That quote, it's a famous quote. He's a guy that says, in my wildest dreams, I could not have imagined a sweeter life. It's this guy right here. Uh, the guy in the red velvet suit that always showed up and was always ready to make you wish you lived like him. But uh, we'll get his picture up there in just a moment. But here's what I would tell you about this guy. Today, that guy understood that his understanding of a sweet life that he seduced so many American men to live was not a good way to live. At 91 last night, that playboy died. And that playboy is seeing the awesomeness of God's wrath. If he didn't know the Lord, and I, I never heard Mr. Hefner say that he had a relationship with Christ. The Bible says that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And we shouldn't either. But the Bible also says it's a fool who fears what men can offer them when they describe what life is like and doesn't listen to a God who says, I'll show you what life is like. I'm not trying to keep you from real life. I'm trying to show you where real life is. This is a shell of a man, and this man's over here. Hey, he seduced so much of America to say, this is where life is. Men, listen to Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner is dead. I'll never forget, I was playing at L.A. Country Club. I was playing a round of golf, and when you play L.A. Country Club, um." When you get to a certain hole, the Playboy mansion is right on the other side of the hedges. I mean the famed Playboy Mansion. And I can remember I knew the Lord when I was there. But I'm gonna tell you, I'm walking down that fairway. You can hear the music, you can hear the party, you knew it's over there, and there's a party that just goes, Man, I've got a little FOMO, man. I got a little FOMO. Right? This is where I'm talking to my 20-something friends. Right? I got a fear of missing out. On the other side of the hedge, is that where life is? And I remember walking down that fairway and hearing the music and the giggles and the laughter that created in me a sense of, is that where life is? And I had to to listen to my heart. And as I walked down that fairway, I quoted to myself Proverbs 22.4. Hey, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Bro, you have a fear of missing out? You fear that you don't build your life on a solid foundation right now, Todd Wagner, because there's somebody over there saying, come build this high tower. Well, I'm going to just tell you something. Mr. Hefner wishes he'd been walking down that fairway with me. And I'm glad I wasn't living in that house with him. So, boys... Go study the word of God, get in the word of God, all right? And don't let Mr. Hefner or anybody else seduce you somewhere else. You've got a proper um, reverence from God, but you don't need to be scared of God. Your father today is saying, son, cuddle up to me. Listen to my words. I want to give you grace and glory. I want to make you men. I don't want you to be terrorized when a snake wants to ruin your life, but I don't want you to go gallantly charging into things you shouldn't. There are certain things you ought to go, nope, the prudency is evil. And hides himself. The naive play with it. Be wise. Be strong towers. Be men. Let's go.